<laughs> yeah, now would be a good time. Yeah, when we actually say let's go. <laughs> no action or something. Welcome action. to Irreligiosity, the one true podcast. Action. <laughs> Damn you, sir. I'm glad you did that because I wanted to do it so bad. <laughs> Hello, All right. my name is Matt Wakefield. <laughs> and you are listening to Irreligiosophy. All right, go ahead. Oh, no, I think that works well. <laughs> that, was, that was a good one? That was a good one. Everybody's wrapped. They're in it now. They can't get out. <laughs> oh, You're no, probably wondering who the hell I am. My name is Matt Wakefield. I'm a guest on today's show, and I'm here to make Layton look like Chuck. No, he's think, absolutely right. It took me years, two years, in fact, to find somebody that is dumber than I am to put him on the show to make me shine. Yeah, I don't think it's possible to make Leighton look like Chuck. You'd have to drop about six inches and gain about 50 pounds. <laughs> really? I thought we were about the same weight. I was just bigger and taller. Oh, I don't know. All my weight's down below. <laughs> uh, by down below, what what appendage are you referring to? <laughs> I think right. he's making a penis joke. Dear Lord, we're on the last. This is the last chapter of Hoven's dissertation, isn't it? Yes, yes. This Thankfully, is it. it is. But before we get there, why don't why don't we jump right into skunk dicks? And this week's favorite for me, anyway, is military ch- chaplain. Soldiers' rape must have been God's will. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, this is a lawsuit targeting the Pentagon. Apparently a woman was held down, raped by, uh, what was her, uh, military supervisor? Repeatedly well, the, sexually the harassed her. sexually harassing her, and then it was... Raped uh, by a colleague. It, yeah. Pulled her into his bed, held her down, and raped her. Uh, so what does she do? She goes to a chaplain. That is your first fucking mistake. You go to <laughs> someone who knows what the fuck they're doing. But what did the chaplain say to her? He tells her... It must have been God's will for her to be raped and recommended that she attend church more frequently. So God's way of converting this woman is forcing her to go through a very traumatic experience and then have the military do nothing about it. I love how the um, the prescription is going to church more frequently. So you can learn about this loving God who just fucking got you raped. He had you raped so you could talk to the chaplain and come back to his church so you could throw honors on God. So clearly yeah, you want to... perfectly you, divine. You want to get to know this God more by attending church. Yeah. That goes under yes. uh, mysterious ways, I think. God works in... <laughs> yes. It yes. was really God that was in the spirit possessing the man and raping her? Is that the mysterious way? When these Christians say God works in mysterious ways, they always mutter under their breath, like rape. Like Like rape. Rape is so mysterious. All right, uh, we got a couple anti-abortion stories here. Um, George's, uh, this Republican from Georgia, I'm going to give you uh, one guess. Is this a male or female? Uh, Anti-abortion bill would require investigations of miscarriages. (laughs) I am betting that this is a female because she understands just how easily miscarriages are to get over if you didn't have anything to do with it, if there is no wrongdoing. Yes, you're right. Um, House Republican Bobby Franklin would make abortion the legal equivalent of murder and require miscarriages to be investigated by authorities. This is House Bill 1. Classify the removal of a fetus from a woman for any reason other than to produce a live birth or to remove a dead fetus as, quote, prenatal murder. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is a beautiful statement right here. It just shows just how caring this guy is. After nearly four decades of legal human prenatal murder, it is now abundantly clear that the practice has negatively impacted the people of this state in many ways, including economic health, physical, psychological, emotional, and medical well-being. So basically, because they've allowed abortion, uh, their e economy has just plummeted. I think that's the entire nation's problem, is the abortions are dragging the economy down. Right. You, you, Roe v. Wade uh, passed in the early 70s, but it really took until you know 2008 for it to really have that economic impact. Well, that's because it, it, it gains momentum as it goes. So this doesn't doesn't place any criminal penalties on spontaneous miscarriages, right? But if you miscarried outside of the hospital or your doctor's office, authorities are going to investigate you. <laughs> so if you're going to have people, women of Georgia, if you're going to have a miscarriage, make sure you do it in the presence of a physician. Yeah, otherwise, you're going to get poked and probed by police officers who may handcuff you if this bill passes, if they even suspect that uh, your tears aren't genuine enough. Right, because, you know, the the best thing you could do is, is compound one tragedy with a criminal fucking investigation. Moving on from that stupidity, how about we jump into Nebraska Resurrects Justifiable Homicide Abortion Bill. I mean, this is just retarded they already put this down in other states and now nebraska is trying to legalize these people to go out and be vigilantes south dakota shelved the bill right so nebraska says well i don't think so let's go ahead and legalize the killing of abortion providers so the south dakota bill would only have justified it in the case of like a family like a mother a grandmother or a grandfather or a husband or, or the like siblings I guess of this little baby but but this is for anyone anyone in Nebraska who hears about an abortion taking place can bust into the saloon yeehaw and, <laughs> and just kill all those abortion murder prenatal murderers oh my yeah, god it's, yeah. it's redneck one-upmanship it is <laughs> redneck heaven you combine yes, yes. guns, anti-abortion, killing, hunting. Oh, man, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah, wait, wait, wait. And a belief in God, because when you kill that abortionist, you're definitely doing God's will. Well, yeah, and you're trying to save that little baby as a child of God. Yeah, yeah. Well, you got, you got people like uh, this senator, Senator Steve Lathrop, who says... I think it opens the door to something unintended. I don't think you came in here intending to make those who provide abortions a target of the use of force, but I think it may unintentionally do that, or at least provide somebody with an argument that they were justified in that. Well, thank you, Senator Lathrop, <laughs> for pointing out the obvious. No, that, that pretty much is the intention. You're making that, that, the homicide justifiable. Yeah, That's the you, intention. The intention is to kill in defense. Uh, this poor woman, raped or not, is walking to the abortion clinic, and somebody can walk in and defend that baby by killing everybody in there. Yeah. <laughs> nice going, Nebraska. For his part, Christensen, Mark Christensen, who's um, the idiot who brought the bill forward, uh, insisted his measure is not intended to target abortion providers. Christensen claimed that his bill is merely meant to allow pregnant women to defend their unborn children without fear of prosecution. So the, this lady who goes into the abortion clinic seeking an abortion 
then suddenly decides, ah, shit, I'm killing my baby. I don't want this abortion. Takes out her 45 and blows the head off the dock. Totally justified. She was justified. defending her fetus. That I doctor was, was just coming defending my baby. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't believe that dude in a second. They just don't want abortion there because of their high moral Christian values. So they figure you put a little Old West into it where you can walk in and shoot anybody down with a six gun. And hey, everybody's happier with the loss of abortions. And of course, all these lunatics are carrying guns right into the abortion clinic. I just happen to have my gun here. Yeah, that's just just to make sure if I change my mind, I'm able to protect my baby because that's my right. Oh, changed my mind. Boom. (laughs) All right. uh, My vote is for the military chaplain who thinks it's God's will for this woman to be raped, and the cure for that is more church. Uh, I'm I'm thinking Nebraska's way up there saying, hey, let's kill the abortionist. That sounds like a good thing to do. Matt, what's your vote? I got to go with Georgia. That's just beyond the pale. All right. I think... uh... Well, we're split three ways. I don't think that's ever happened on a show. We may have a three-way tie here. Let's see if the computer can break it. I thought the computer was broken, which is why we're feeding it to Mr. Smiles. I fixed it. You fixed Mr. Smiles or the computer? fixed the computer. (laughs) You might want to start fixing Mr. Smiles, as I recall. What do you know? It was just unplugged. Ah. All right, uh, apparently Billy Ray Cyrus won the uh, Skunk Dick of the Week award. Oh, damn it. Now, was was that because he was uh, posing in really scanty and really kind of uh, unnatural <laughs> ways with his daughter? No, it is because he failed to abort Miley Cyrus. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that That's makes twice. him a skunk. He failed to beat her until she couldn't <laughs> sing because, well, actually, maybe he did do that because she still can't sing. Well, here's the story. He's talking about apparently a relationship between Billy Ray and his daughter Miley is strained. So um, he tells this little story. Um, Both mine and Miley's faith has been shaken. Oh, my God. That that saddens me the most. Isn't that horrible? He came from, I don't know where, Alabama or something. Yeah, don't uh, you hate it when you're using your daughter for her fame so you can still cling to a little (laughs) thing yourself and suddenly the relationship strains? What would cause that? Comes from Nashville to Hollywood to to do Hannah Montana. And uh, the two of them drive down the freeway, and every day, I don't know why, but every day Miley would point out the sign that said, Adopt a Highway, Atheists United. <laughs> Those damn atheists and their nefarious oh ways adopting the highway. When I saw the headline for this, you know, Billy Ray Cyrus scared of atheist sign, I thought it would be like one of those on the bus where they're like, you know, you know, deep down inside there's no God, or don't worry, you know, blah, blah, blah. All it was is the fucking adopt a highway atheist united sign. Oh my God. And it gets even better because he's asked. Do you really see it in such clearly spiritual terms that your family was under attack by Satan? I think we are right now, no doubt. There's no doubt about it. And why is that happening? It's the way it is. There has always been a battle between good and evil, always Bilby. You think this is a chance to make family entertainment, bring families together, and look what it's turned into. A bunch of fucking atheists cleaning the side of the road. That is intolerable. That last part was me. (laughs) <laughs> it's it, it's turned into one of the worst shows I've ever seen in my life, the Hannah yeah. Montana show. Yeah, which for is that, one. For that, go get him, Satan. 
Get him! Get him! Yeah, uh, go get him! We encourage Satan to attack Miley Cyrus, <laughs> <laughs> and of course Billy Ray Cyrus. Of course, Satan should have started attacking him when he first sang that dumbass achy breaky heart song. Yeah, if oh, Satan didn't, if Satan didn't on. get him for that, then uh, he really doesn't exist. Unfortunately. Well, Matt, you actually like that song? Oh my God, I love doing like, like shit kicking to achy breaky heart. It's awesome. Matt, There's you're fired. And at that, we yeah. hang up on Matt and continue the show on our... <laughs> You're fired. Get off the show. <laughs> no, it was satire. <laughs> All right. Uh, we are back to do part four, chapter four of Kent Hovind's doctoral dissertation entitled Time, What Is It and How Old Is the Earth? And for this part, we've brought on Hovindologist Matt Wakefield. Thank you. Yes, no. Thank you. Matt, how many years have you actually spent studying hovenology? I have spent at least the last 40 minutes studying <laughs> hovenology. And what, what, what is the most prominent thing you have learned from studying this? I've learned that his prose is akin to Shakespeare. He is, he is a, a true genius, and I think this chapter seals it. Indeed. I love how he begins with a bunch of questions like, How old is the Earth? Is the Earth and universe six or seven thousand years old, as the Bible seems to indicate? Or is it billions of years old, as the evolutionists claim? If the Earth is not old, if it is only six or seven thousand years old, as I contend it is, that ends the argument for evolution! It's over! Done. And Charlie's not kidding. This entire paragraph is a bunch of questions. They will bring up many different questions, such as, what about carbon dating? What about the dinosaurs? What about cavemen? What about the geological features of the Earth? Why don't you fucking stop asking questions? <laughs> Why don't you answer an answer? some in your Wait fucking dissertation? What about cavemen? Yes, what about uh -huh. cavemen? That's, that's <laughs> what evolutionists throw at a creationist. And he's saying, we don't need to answer this. These <laughs> are unimportant. What about cavemen? Now... Am I wrong in saying that this is kind of a tacit like acceptance of evolution if the Earth is old? Is that what he's also saying here? That's what it seems Basically, like. Basically, what he's saying is, if he can prove that the Earth is young, that kills evolution once and for all. So this entire chapter is probably the most important in his entire writing because it's his attempts to prove that, well, for one thing, time does not exist for God and therefore we humans cannot thrust our own limitations upon him, and that the time we do deal with actually leads us to God. That is the whole point of this chapter. Well, listen, um, he is trying very, diff very hard to make a philosophical point uh, in this second page of chapter 4. Uh, he discusses time. So what is time anyway? Time is a measurement we use as humans here on Earth to measure the rate at which things decay. <laughs> wait, wait, the next sentence, you have to read the next sentence. Like when milk goes bad. Uh, yeah, yeah it, or that, when That's meat. the only reason we have time, is to find out when our milk will curdle. Time is a human element that does not affect God. Wait a second. <laughs> this it's sounds difficult. like a case of special pleading to me. It's difficult for us to understand how there can be no time in heaven. How can there be another dimension? We tend to think that it is April 28th, 1990, or whatever day or whatever. it is, in heaven. 
you are trying to put human limitations on God. God does not have any human limitations. We are the ones locked in time and space, not God. So that question is faulty in and of itself. And I would like to posit the question, where the fuck are your sources that say that there is no time where God is concerned? Yeah, it, doesn't the New Testament say that for God, uh, one day, day is, is like a thousand, a thousand years? years. Yeah. Doesn't that have something to do with time, Kent? And it, and if there are no human limitations like time, uh, please explain how that happens. How does God make decisions at all? Time is what prevents everything from happening at once. How does God do anything if he if he is not embedded in time? <laughs> well, see, that's just because you do not understand uh, how God and how heaven works. Now, for this... He turns to Paul and how Paul was stoned to death, and then as they were dragging his ass out to the edge of the street, uh, God sent him back down from heaven, said, your job's not done yet, go there, work. And of course, Paul pops up again, and when people ask him, what was heaven like, all he can say is, you know what, I am forbidden to say anything about it. My point is, is Paul's pulling shit out of his ass. What a cop out, you bastard. Yeah, what... You really want us to believe that you weren't lying down playing possum while they threw those stones at you, and then you got up and ran away as fast as you could when they pulled you out of the city? I mean, he says, he says Paul went to heaven where he got a foretaste of eternity. He saw heaven. This is underlined. Uh, God said, I'm sorry, Paul, you must go back down to earth. I'm not done with you yet. So why the fuck did he drag him up there in the first place if he can't tell us about heaven? Well, because Paul was killed. He was stoned to death, found oh. himself in heaven, and God turned around and went, Oh, shit, what are you doing? Oh, sorry. Here? It's a mistake. <laughs> it happens all the time because I'm not, you know, I'm not limited yeah. by time. So God I can't damn it. tell Why when does this, this happen happened? on my lunch break every single time? Paul, get your <laughs> ass back down to earth. He goes, I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Uh, whether in the body or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such as one caught up to the third heaven. Uh, what? What's the third what, what What does that have to do with anything that he's talking about well, after Paul got stoned? I, is he talking about he himself? Just, I knew myself goes, 14 years ago. <laughs> he does this all the time. He just randomly either throws himself in or runs off on tangents, and you're sitting there going, what the fuck does this have to do with the main paragraph you started here? Oh, God, here he goes again about if you're talking to a blind man and you were trying to explain to him the different colors of the rainbow, you would be wasting your time. He cannot understand the differences. Yeah, I think the the best statement there is there may be thousands of millions of things beyond our comprehension. And well, my says, question is... He says you cannot explain sounds or music to a person who has been deaf all of his life. That's because he's deaf. If you <laughs> try to like, talk to him, he can't hear you. <laughs> he can't hear you. He's deaf. <laughs> well, maybe you could write it for him. <laughs> Beethoven went deaf. Beethoven says that you can't explain this to a person who's been deaf all his life. Oh, all of his life. Oh, I see. He had a uh, modifier in there. You just won't get the information into his mind. Oh. There are five entrances into the human mind. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, you're going right where I was going. Go ahead, finish that. Oh, good Lord. We call these the five senses. Uh, Ken, I, I hate to break this to you, but we have a lot more than five senses. We have uh, proprioception which is the feeling of uh, balance uh, one. and where where our body is in uh, three-dimensional in space. space. We yeah. have 
temperature sensation. We have That's pain two. sensation. Three. We <laughs> sight, also pleasure. hearing, Four. Five. <laughs> touch, taste, Six, vision. Eight. Oh God. Um, Wait a second. That's all, that's more I'm than waiting five. for Matt to start singing that song. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. We've we've got way more than five entrances into the into the brain. I think that's the important part of that paragraph is that Kent Hovind thinks that it is a very foolish thing to do to put human limitations on God. He thinks it's very foolish. Well, to yeah. say that it is 1990 in heaven is to put human limitations on God. So apparently God does not have a calendar. <laughs> yeah. No fucking idea what day it is. Well, that would explain why he let Paul die. <laughs> he forgot. It was... <laughs> oh, shit. <laughs> Sorry, my Paul. my goddamn eye calendar? I forgot to put this in there. <laughs> my alert didn't go off. You know, this is what I love. Is he blatantly claims there may be thousands of millions of things beyond our comprehension, but instead of saying, let's go out there and learn about it, he just says, but that's our human limitations and we shouldn't throw them on God. Listen here, fucker. If there's something we don't know, why don't we go out and find out for ourselves? In the very next paragraph, he starts talking about the Grand Canyon, and he starts talking about these people in the raft floating down the Grand Canyon, and then he talks about, well, if you were in a helicopter, perfectly positioned above them so you could see everything, then God would be the helicopter, and we are the people trapped in the raft. I see. So God's, uh, of course, the helicopter is still embedded in time and space, but never mind, Kent, you keep on metaphoring. Keep going. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, how about this one? We are locked into 1991 right now. We will be here for a year. Then we will be locked into 1992. We cannot speed it up or slow it down regardless of what we do. However, God is not in our time with us. He is above time. God is the one in the helicopter, so to speak. Oh, now it's all clear to me. God is in the helicopter. What's he doing um, hanging on the helicopter above the Grand Canyon anyway? Well, that, that's just his vantage point of the world. He just hangs in a helicopter above the world. And this is why he is omniscient, knows all things. He is omnipresent, present everywhere and at all times. Because he I'm is above he, I'm glad he world. defines that for us. God, Kent, yeah. we, we, we've known that time is relative since, what, 1904, 1906? <clears throat> we cannot speed it up or slow it down regardless of what we do. Um, you know, time slows down in the presence of a strong gravitational field. Time slows down uh, the Back faster you go. You go. Yeah. Uh, so it's not absolute dipshit, and we've known that for a hundred years. Everyone except for Ken Hoven. <laughs> well, but well, you know, see, I love this. I love this idea that God's flying around in a helicopter in his little robe and long beard, looking at people, yeah. peeping in on their Grand Canyon river trip. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look at that! They've got a wet T-shirt. Hmm. I'll hover here for a little while. <laughs> I'll just hover here, outside of space and time. Yeah. yeah. So the reason why he's using this, and it's it's absolutely beautiful, especially for anybody out there that uh, that understands frequency and everything else like that, but he's leading up to the fact that with our senses, we can only see the visual range of the electromagnetic spectrum. And he's basically claiming that in heaven... With God, you are able to see every single spectrum there is out there. See and understand, perceive it, everything. 
Well, this, this comes to one of the only illustrations he has in his entire dissertation, uh, and it's just a squiggly line. That's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like a, a black line. You can kind of see where it's like 10 to the power of something or other, and it's just this black mark on the entire thing. And right above it, it, it just says this. Uh, uh, this is my favorite part. We will be there forever, which is a totally new dimension. He's talking about heaven here. I cannot explain it because I don't understand it. I just Excellent. have to believe it. That, that is one of those sentences, remember, we've been keeping track of these, that should be stricken from a doctoral dissertation. Oh, how about this one? I do know that it says in 1 Corinthians 2.9 that God has things that we are not capable of understanding, things that are beyond our comprehension. And I would like to point out, this is stated by goat herders living in tents before science improved their fucking lives. Yeah, well, well, how about this? So, Kim brings up the electromagnetic spectrum. I would like to ask this. Uh, did God tell us about the electromagnetic spectrum, or was it perhaps science that discovered this for us? God. I thought it would be God. Is he simultaneously using science to support his claim and also to go against science? Yes. Damn. I'd stop listening. Yes talking <laughs> but late to sleep <laughs> was there a reason we had Matt on here he's a hovendologist that's right I'm, I'm waiting for him to spout knowledge <laughs> I, make, I make you look good <laughs> in that case let's continue we cannot see ultraviolet. We have a limited receptor. All right. And this is where he starts going into God being able to see in all ranges. So my question is, Kent, have you ever been to a transmission station or even a receiver station for, oh, I don't know, naval bases? Have you seen the size of the antennas they need to hear and to transmit some of these spectrums? Now, wait a minute, Layton. He says, I don't mean pick them up with an instrument. I mean actually see them with our eye. Well, that's what I'm talking about. We're talking about wavelengths here. <laughs> In order to transmit uh, low frequency, you need a massively tall antenna in order to get that full wavelength out. So if God is able to not only project these frequencies but hear them, how big is God after all? He takes up the entire universe. How fortunate. I, I'd, I'd like Kent to point out in the Bible where it talks about eleg electromagnetic waves and points out that God can hear and see the entire spectrum. I would really like to hit, to have him point this out because as far as I'm concerned, science discovered this. This is not the realm of God. Fuck you. It's in uh, Genesis where God hung the rainbow as a promise not to flood the earth again. Oh, of course. And and speaking of beautiful imagery, we come to the poem that Charlie mentioned last week, because a poem will scientifically prove God is outside our realm of time. A full fucking page for your fucking poem will prove this. I love how he introduces this. As I was thinking on this subject, I wrote a poem to try to explain this, comparing blind men and atheists. All right, all right. So we're going to read both stanzas. Yeah, well, this is a this masterpiece. Is, this is a fucking masterpiece. It's like better than absolutely. any Shakespearean sonnet I've ever come across. And the the it, rhyme it, scheme is so complex here. It's a, almost I mean, Dr. Seussian. A A B B C C. <laughs> it's just a couplet. It's just a series of couplets. 
<laughs> yes, that's exactly what it is. All right. All right. So I believe since we were forced to read this, you're right, Charlie. They should listen. Yes. So here we go. Two blind men argued well into the night about the great question, is there really sight? Said one to the other, and quite fervently, there cannot be colors or else we could see. So take red and green and blue off the list. If I cannot see them, they must not exist. A crazy man told They must know exist. He's Scottish. (laughs) (laughs) They must not exist. (laughs) They must must not exist. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, I didn't realize we weren't supposed to correct it to make it sense. That's correct. (laughs) Who Who are you, Kim Van Gundy? Stop fucking trying to correct it. All right, I'm sorry. I'll I'll do my best to stay on target. All right, so I listened intently, but I caught no clue of anything out there to alter my mind. I am not deaf, you know. I hear, and here is spelled H E R E. (laughs) I hear perfectly fine. Be quiet and listen, and then you will know that colors aren't real. How dare they say so? And this is my favorite part. They tell me that grass is some sort of green. It looks like the rest of the world that I've seen. It tastes a lot different from <laughs> if, if I smell it too long, it sure makes me sneeze. <laughs> Just like pussy. Oh my god. Hey, Matt, if you're shoving your nose far enough up there where you have to sneeze, you're doing it wrong. <laughs> Damn. Oh, my right. God. It felt right. It felt right. It, it felt right, right? All right. It feels a lot different than ice cream or snow. <laughs> but to say that it's green, I'd have to say no. I will be- or I will not believe it until I have seen there isn't a difference twixt red, blue, or green, and so the men argued with all of their might, and I couldn't show them that they were not right. They cannot see colors because they're bl- they no apostrophe r e blind. <laughs> but I couldn't get the truth in their mind until they are given the gift of sight. Never, not ever, will they see the light. Um, I think that's some subtle commentary on atheism, but I can't quite tell for sure. I I, I don't don't know where you would get that. It's not as if it's mentioned in the very next sentence. Fortunately, he goes on to explain the metaphor. Kent Hovind's no master of subtlety. He goes and explains about the whole color metaphor. As if it wasn't apparent enough. Here, let me just hit you with a hammer. Two atheists argued on university sod about the great question, is there a God? Said one to the other, and quite fervently, there can't be a God, or else we could see. So take that old Bible and God off the list. If I cannot see him, he must know exist. Be quiet and listen, and then you will know that God is not real. How dare they say so? A crazy man told me God lives up in heaven. I used to believe that when I was just seven. But now now that I'm older and wiser, you see, I will not believe it. You can't prove it to me. I cannot sense God with sight, taste, or smell. I do not believe in heaven or hell. I've never heard God or felt him at all. (laughs) (laughs) I want to feel up God. I'm all for that. Thanks for offering that, Kent. If he's really up there, I wish he would call. I said, oh, listen. God, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, this is like a hallmark moment. <laughs> I said, listen, oh. fellows, you're spiritually blind. You have only five entrances into your mind. 
That limits your input, I wish you could see. You can't fathom God or eternity. There are lots of things that really are real. <laughs> it doesn't disprove God because you can't feel. So you two can argue the rest of the night. There's no way to show you that you are not right. When you get to heaven, or hell if you please, you'll understand nice. God as you fall on your knees. I wish you could see him or hear him somehow, but that is impossible where you are now. To deny his existence is really absurd. You'll have to believe him and trust in his word. Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that that's solves the way that. he sees it. Denying his existence is absurd, people, so just trust the, the Bible and uh, just have faith and believe in him for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. Now, for those of you that are making fun of us because we couldn't read this properly, uh, why don't you go ahead and try to read this poem exactly <laughs> as it's written? <laughs> Oh, I would miserable. like to point out as well that this entire, I'll just put in quotes, dissertation, Kent has been proclaiming that there are only five senses, and then within this poem, he turns around to these atheists arguing this and says, oh, that's because you don't have a spiritual sense. So are you telling me, Kent, that as soon as you start believing, you suddenly gain a sixth sense? Yeah, I mean, this whole thing is just an argument from ignorance, obviously. He says, that is the way I see it. We have to admit by faith that God exists because we are limited in our senses. So therefore, since we're limited in our senses, and we don't have infinite entrances into our mind, I suppose, then that lack of knowledge proves there's a God. I mean, Kent, come on. Yeah. Learn well, some I mean, fallacies. Look at, look at the very next statement. A blind person believes by faith that there are colors. He has never seen them, but he believes by faith that they exist because everyone has told him about them. Uh, Kent, color is verifiable and isn't up for debate, whereas God is not verifiable. What well, the last two sentences of this paragraph prove his scientific method. This is openly displayed as to what is Kent Hovind's scientific method. I believe by faith that there is a God. I believe that there is no time in heaven. Well, good. I believe, therefore, it is so. <laughs> well, science has been going about this all the wrong way. This is an excellent, excellent body of work. I, I pretty much use this same uh, argument in many of my papers in my university days as well. Well, of in course my you grades, did. You were studying Hovenology. Yes. yes. Eva taught that, I, I'm pretty sure. Uh, this is probably my favorite paragraph. It's been explained like this. Once upon a time, there was a time when there was no time. God didn't wait a long time before creating Adam and Eve. He started time when he created the earth. I just want you to say time again. I just want to hear the word time Sorry. in a paragraph like 14 times. <laughs> no more time. So, Leighton, take us through his argument for how old the earth is. Oh, now this is interesting because uh, the the next paragraph after that is back to the questions. How old is the earth? According to the Bible times given in Genesis 5:11 and the chronologies, blah, 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 it was about 4,000 B.C. So this is what I love. Source for 6,000-year-old earth, the Bible. Source for old earth, radiometric dating, the four parameters of the cosmological model, luminosity curves of the supernova 1A, on and on. Well, I'm, I'm glad he's just quite blithely throwing out his source right there. The next uh, couple of pages are just a waste of brain cells because he's, before he gets what into... What are you talking about the next couple of pages? 
All right, all right, all right. Even more so than the rest of his <laughs> dissertation. <laughs> but, I mean, he goes into, instead of getting right down to the dirt, you're expecting him to jump into his evidence for why this is a 6,000-year-old Earth, and suddenly he starts talking about why theists who are trying to conform to evolution are so wrong, and he just goes on and on and on, and I want to punch him in the face. Well, yeah, right, he gave his evidence, he just adds up a bunch of dates in the Bible for how old these people are, and he doesn't even talk about how odd it is that Adam is still cranking out kids at 130. <laughs> hey, hey, the men, we're still viable there, a little Viagra and we're good, it's the women you have to worry about. You know, I there's no, you can't get around this, I think Ken Hovind is making a great point here. He makes the point that all the Bible scholars of the past were persuaded that the Earth was young. That is, first of all, <laughs> I'm pretty sure Sarah Palin took a lesson from this. You know, when you need to, you make up a word like persuaded. <laughs> Persuasion by your peers. It's genius. Persuaded. <laughs> Before he gets into the evidence, listen to this one. Many of the Christians in the late 1800s, after Darwin's book, The Origin of Species, came out began to try to compromise the historic position of the church to adjust to Darwin's theory. Well, we wouldn't want to compromise the historic position of the church, now would we, Copernicus? What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> well, he's talking about how the church is the ultimate standing of reason. And I'm just pointing out, well, what about when uh, the church was told that the earth revolves around the sun? Well, let's force them into a solitary confinement. Yeah, let's let's pay attention to what the church wants is what I'm getting at. Right. Um, again, the whole renaissance was throwing off the authority of the church that, and received dogma and doctrine. And you, you try to see what the science says. Uh, throw off the... Authority. Stop just accepting things and uh, see what the science says. And so Kent Hovind in his doctoral dissertation wants to go back to just, you know, accepting things. And Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's my opinion that we just skip the next few pages and actually move into the evidence because at this point he just starts ta uh, attacking fellow Christians as to why they're trying to conform to evolution is so wrong. So is everybody all right if we just skip the next few pages? Let's skip it. He's, he's, he's arguing in the next couple of pages that you can't stick billions of years inside of uh, any supposed gap in the uh, biblical record. All right, well, how about this? We'll start here because this is the paragraph before he starts listing his evidences. Now, this states taking only evidence that supports a preconceived idea and rejecting all other evidence is not very intelligent or scientific. No <laughs> shit, Sherlock. Good thing we have the Bible to tell us what to pay attention to. <laughs> oh, God. Ouch. Yeah. I can't believe yeah, so he, he said, can say that with a straight face. Not only a straight face, but then he follows it up with this. I will give you just a few of the ways to show that the Earth and solar system are young. I have a list put out by Henry Morris of the Institute for Creation Research, a list of 76 things that show the age of the Earth to be very young. Wow, well, if he's got a list, for God's sakes, who am I to yes. argue? Well, exactly. So he has a list. Who are we to argue? Oh, I don't know. Perhaps why don't we go and take a look? 
at this little list of ours. So I looked it up, and uh, he's right. There are 76 different evidences listed by this Morris fella, and the first 17 of them are referenced directly to himself. So I decided, all right, well, let's, let's take a look at a few of these books. Let's see. Scientific Creationism for Public Schools, published 1974. The Face of the Deep, published 1955. Evolution, The Ocean Says No, published 1973, <laughs> 1976, 1972. Have we not moved on in science beyond the 60s and 70s? Uh, well, no. this was written in uh, 1991. So yep. the most recent citation <laughs> is 1974. It's 17 years old. Good Lord. We're talking cutting-edge research here by Kent Hovind. Yeah, yeah. So so let's let's move into it. So he says, here are just a few of the evidence of young Earth given by Dr. Morse. He talks about, number one, the influx of cosmic dust to the Earth indicates that the Earth is less than 10,000 years old. Now, <laughs> this... this this is an actual sentence, so don't make fun. This cosmic dust that comes from outer space. <laughs> you know, if Kim Van Gundy isn't already dead, she should be of embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. Cosmic dust that comes from outer space. Where the fuck else are you getting cosmic dust from? I got to ask you guys have you ever heard of this cosmic dust theory? Uh, I have indeed. No. Really? Because I hadn't heard of it either. I had to research this. But go ahead, Matt. Why don't you explain to everybody what this cosmic dust means? It's just the uh, the accumulation of, of matter that we get by flying through space on this planet we call Earth. Yeah. Uh, so there are, and, yeah. yeah, I've heard it in, in the uh, context <laughs> of moon dust where, you know, they thought that – and this came up in Kent Hovind's previous chapter – where they thought, or Kent thinks, that NASA thought that it was going to be like 60 feet of dust on the moon for some reason. Right, uh, which, they, which they never had any concern right. about. Right, of course. Yeah. But I suppose well, we sweep in a bunch of cosmic dust too, so I guess we should be um, uh, engulfed, the whole Earth should be engulfed in cosmic dust that comes from yeah, outer well, space. This comes from a study done in the 1960s. It was actually published in 1960, February 1960, in Scientific American. And what it is, is Hans Peterson, he was out there on the Hawaiian Islands, and he was taking different measurements here and there from, uh, from different places. And he came up with the calculation that uh, we were getting hit with 39,150 tons of cosmic dust a day. And the very next sentence is... Peterson actually favored a figure about two-thirds less, and he warned his readers that the true figure could be much small, lower still. I think. So, yeah, you think? So this is the number that Kent Hovind is going off of to prove that if this world was as old as it was, there would be so much dust on this place none of us could live. So, well... That was the 1960s. Uh, I don't know. Perhaps there have been uh, advancements since then. Now, I love, what they... I love Kent Hovind's idea of science here. He goes, 
you know, they, they so you get this percentage of um, cosmic dust, which is supposed to be mostly nickel, and then you know the scientists have searched and searched for the nickel content in the Earth's crust. Like they get this percentage, and they don't just you know check his figures. They go out and scatter across the Earth's crust and try to find all this nickel. <laughs> <laughs> And then they come back disappointed that it's not enough to account for billions of years. Damn it! Damn that nickel. <laughs> if only there were more nickel. Yeah, yeah. So, so get this. So science progresses here. We develop these uh, microphone-type dust detectors, as well as uh, it's kind of like a sheet that you hold up there, and the dust penetrates it since it's moving at such a fast speed. And by that, they were able to do calculations, and they found it to be 10 to 100 times smaller than Peterson's figure. Now, <laughs> now get this. In July 1976, article by D.W. Hughes published in The New Scientist, which gave a figure of 48 tons a day, enough to cover the Earth with about 1.5 inches of dust during the Earth's lifetime, nearly a thousand times smaller than Peterson's figure. Well, that makes sense. Yeah. I'm still trying to find out where all that nickel went. Well, so is Kent Hovind. <laughs> see, that's, it's ridiculous. See, it's like he's claiming that the dust just piles up and the surface of the Earth, according to evolutionists, is static. That nothing has happened in our 4.5 billion years of supposed time that we believe in. So the stuff should just be piling up this whole time. There's no volcanism. You know, there's no plate tectonics. There's no ocean activity. We should all be waiting around in nickel dust. We, yeah, we should all be buried under tons of nickels. I believe Kent Holman <laughs> deserves <laughs> a some sort of award for best segue ever, though, in the next sentence. The amount of all nickel right. is not great enough to account for a billion years. It's only It only counts for several thousand years. For instance, the influx of helium-4 to the atmosphere. Just right out of nickel in the helium-4. Beautiful. You know, Ken, if you say, for instance, it should be somehow even tangentially related to the sentence that preceded it. I'm just saying. Yeah, thanks for that one, Kim Van Gundy, as well. <laughs> Your services are highly valued. Kim Van Gundy died of embarrassment, 1991. Yeah. And, and, and once again, everything that he states within all of this goes back to that same doctor... Uh, what was his name? Henry M. Morris. In fact, you can go to YouTube and look up the age of the Earth, the erosion rate of the continents, which actually goes very well with what you were talking about, Matt, because Henry Morris is claiming that uh, mountains are constantly eroding, and so the Earth should be flat. And he's sitting there going, there's no reason Earth should go up. It always goes down. Dirt always goes down. Yep. Why are there mountains? You can't explain mountains. Well, that's his point. If the Earth was 4.5 billion years old, why isn't it just flat all the way around? Why are there mountains? That makes no sense. In the words of Bill O'Reilly, why are there tides? You can't explain tides. can't explain that. You can't explain that. You can't explain it. <laughs> Look, you pinheads who attacked me for this, you guys are just desperate. How'd the moon get there? How'd the sun get there? How'd it get there? Can you explain that to me? How come we have that, and Mars doesn't have it? Venus doesn't have it. How come? Why not? How'd it get here? How did that little amoeba get here? Crawl out there. How'd it do it? Come on. 
What are you, <laughs> an idiot? You can't explain yeah, that moon. As if not being able to explain something provides any evidence for anything else. Yeah. yeah Jesus, well, well, age How about this next evidence here? Another evidence that the Earth is young is the fact that there are still meteors and comets flying through space. Oh, we know okay. that comets and meteors break up and decay as they pass through the solar system. Yeah, so he goes on to point out that scientists claim that these young comets are in this place way out in a region where there's a whole bunch of them just floating around. And then he even brings up this, which is absolutely beautiful. Several astronomers have said that 10,000 years is the longest a comet could survive going through our solar system time and time again, like Haley's comet does every 70 years before it would disappear. What you got, I look, I looked that up, just out of curiosity. That they are theorizing that Haley's comet is going, only going to last about 40,000 years because as a uh-huh. comet moves on its trajectory around the sun, it, it does lose mass when it's close to the sun, and that's why you get a tail, right? Uh-huh. So, but, I'm, is he going to come up, oh, he does. He comes up with the comic bank theory, yeah. The Oort cloud. Yeah, well, he comes up with it, and he keeps pointing out that uh, they speculate that somewhere in outer space, there is a bank of comments. Every once in a while, something will check some out and distribute them throughout the universe. I'm, <laughs> and listen to this, I'm making fun of them, of course. This is not exactly what they believe. Um, That is exactly what they believe. And let me point something out to you, Kenneth. (laughs) This is, I'm going to read this word for word. Thanks to the Hubble Space Telescope, astronomers have finally proven the short period comments come from a vast region of space beyond Neptune. This is the realm of the Cooper Disk, an enormous population of shadowy mini-ice worlds that slowly orbit the sun in near-total darkness. Astronomy, October 1995. Well, he can't be held responsible for that. That's four years after this brilliant dissertation was published. Oh, I realize that. I'm just pointing out that if you're going to sit there and wag your tongue saying, Ah, science will never prove that. I'm making fun of them. Uh, you're going to eat your words, you jackass. How they came up with this comic bank is they would calculate the trajectories of these short-life comets passing through, and they came to the exact same spot again and again and again and again, and so they theorized over and over again that it was there, and now the Hubble's telescope tells us it's there. Wow, so he goes into a bunch of other... Uh, arguments such as the Earth's spin is gradually diminishing, the Earth's magnetic field is declining. I'm convinced we live on a young Earth. <laughs> well, I have responses to every single one of those to tear that down. That is not possible. If we can prove that the Earth is young, only six or 7,000 years old, that really ends the argument of evolution. It's over. Yep. Now, now, Chuck and Layton, are you are you skilled in the art of mathematics? No, no. Now, I, neither I am I. All right. But I, I just like the fact that he points out in his Earth spin gradually dis- diminishing is that uh, in the one sentence he says it's just a second, a century that we're losing. In the very next sentence he says it's one second per day per century. <laughs> I'm terrible at math. So I had to go online to check out these figures. Basically, what I found is that since we you know, became keeping accurate time, we've lost You're talking two the atomic clocks. Milliseconds. 
Exactly. Two milliseconds since 1860. So in 1860, I think a day was 86,400.2 seconds or 0.02. No, 0.2. Whatever. See, I'm terrible at math. And now it's like 86,400 even, basically. So it's not a second per day. We're not losing a second day or we're not losing a second per century. It's yeah, just we're actually losing. a factor of a thousand or something. Yeah, the actual figure is we are losing about 1.5 milliseconds a day per century. Now, what he's talking here about is leap seconds, how your atomic clocks have to have leap seconds again and again. And even if right now the Earth's rotation stopped losing that 1.5 milliseconds a day per century, these clocks would still have leap seconds because they are all set to 1900. That was the time, and we have lost 1.5 milliseconds for that, that century right there. So he goes on. Um, someone would say, what about stars? We know that they are billions of light years away. I don't want to sound like a crackpot. <laughs> too late. <laughs> yeah, too Ken, late. That ship has sailed. He says, but actually... We don't know that stars are billions of years away. There are two, maybe three methods of determining how far away the stars are. Uh, and he gets into um, simple trigonometry and uh, the redshift method. What does oh, he say simple about Simple trigonometry, my ass. He's talking about parallax or triangulation where you, you aim at a star at one point and then you wait six months, you aim at it again, and then you're able to triangulate its position. And that is accurate within about 400 light years of Earth. Beyond that, you need to take brightness measurements, which is basically a color spectrum. And this is a good indication because they have proven it against their parallax triangulation uh, calculations. That uh, as the, the, the star's color spectrum changes, that that determines its brightness measurement and its distance. And that's good for things that are farther than 400 light years from Earth. Yeah, but science has a long history of being dogmatically wrong. <laughs> I kind of guessed you'd be going right for that. <laughs> I'm convinced that much of our modern science, especially relating to evolution, is an absolute joke. <laughs> As stated in a thesis, he typed on a goddamn fucking computer. <laughs> <laughs> we are in the same position as the people in the days before Columbus when people were teaching that the Earth was flat. Listen, fucker, that is an urban legend. Uh, they, Of course they knew that the Earth was round. They, they've known it since, like, 400 B.C. The Greeks proved it. Maybe, maybe the uh, lay people, the populace, thought the Earth was flat, but people who were sailing knew very well the Earth was round. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. How do you think they navigated, you jackass? God almighty. <laughs> I mean, anybody who's been on a sailboat or any sort of seagoing vessel knows navigation. Are you thinking that we just randomly made that in our modern age? I mean, literally? There have been sailors for thousands of pounds, thousands of years, so fuck you. <laughs> I believe that the Earth was created in six literal days, not eons or epochs of time like the Living Bible says in the notes given in Genesis 1. I guess he doesn't like the Living Bible, huh? No, no, he doesn't. In fact, he disparages many Bibles, uh, especially for their attempts on conforming to uh, evolution-based theories. He even points out 
the Egyptians taught a form of evolution, saying that life evolved from the slime along the Nile River. I don't know if you can compare that to Darwin's evolution. That's just as uh, rigorously um, supported. Yes, yes, because we want to go to the Egyptian creation story to find science. That, that makes perfect sense. Now I know why you guys are evolutionists, because your love for Egypt has propelled you in that direction. That is correct. You've got me. <laughs> we didn't actually accept evolution until we read about it in Egypt. Oh, my God. The pressure in oil wells in Texas is another indication that the Earth is young. I lived in five years in Texas. Oh, that's a fucking surprise. <laughs> I saw a flame shooting up in the sky one night and went over to investigate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, an explosion. I'll walk towards it. That's a bright idea. There were some men burning off the natural gas there drilling an oil well. He began to ask him some questions. And hey, from what that, are you guys doing? The, the, <laughs> hey guys, there's a big shooting flame. Are you roasting marshmallows? Can I join in? When drilling down about 3,500 feet, often the oil has 20,000 pounds of pressure per square inch. If you have ever pumped a bicycle's tire to 70 or 80 pounds of pressure, you understand that it is pretty oh, hard okay. to do. That, that is pretty hard <laughs> to do. Yeah. Oh, God, I've never done that, so I don't want to... I'm going to confirm that statement. I'm going to say that's the first accurate statement in this dissertation. <laughs> that, that is a pretty hard... <laughs> Even though he didn't say thing, it's just a pretty hard to do. It is pretty hard to do. I that think pressure understood. That pressure would crack the rock in the strata because after a period of time, the rock could only withstand the pressure for so long. My God, Ken Hoven is a genius. Yeah, yeah. He, he's, he's found the flaw that science has been trying to hide all this Yeah, time. he's uncovered <laughs> all these all these evidences for a young Earth that we've been trying to keep uh, secret all these years. Yeah, the fact uh, that oil is still under pressure indicates that it has been down there less than 10,000 years. Duh. The rock she can't take anymore. <laughs> Often when they first began drilling oil wells in the early 1930s, they would hit that pocket of pressure and it would blow everything up out of the ground. Everybody. I don't know how many... How many oil companies we lost in the 1930s? They just blew up. Yeah, just randomly. That's why it was such a lucrative business, because only one in maybe a hundred actually survived these pressures. <laughs> the, the 30 or 40,000 feet of pipe would just be shot up out of the ground like spaghetti because of this intense pressure. What the fuck? They would be drilling in the 1930s, six to eight miles down. Yes. That's what he's and, claiming, yes. And okay. the thirty or 40,000 feet of pipe, it'd just be shot up out of the ground like spaghetti. I can't tell you how many times I've seen spaghetti shot up out of the ground. Well, I, I can't tell you how many times that pipe has shot out of, out of an oil well, and since it's so long, it goes up into space and hits the, the station. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I love his little corn pone anecdotes. Uh, a friend of mine out in California brought me a slab of what looked like a piece of polished marble about the size of a small tabletop. He said, Mr. Hoven, I brought this to you because I thought you might be interested in it. His friend called him Mr. Hoven. <laughs> Not only that, but his friend brings Mr. Hoven random pieces of rock. <laughs> I asked hey, Mr. him what, Hoven? It, what it was, and he said that it was a slab of ocean floor. He said that he went down... Blew the sediment away with a jet of high-speed water, then cut a slab of the rock out of the ocean floor. 
Isn't that amazing? That is that this that friend is of Dr. Hovind's went down and gave the ocean floor a blowjob. In his scuba suit. He went down to the ocean floor <laughs> in his scuba suit with a vacuum cleaner in reverse, I guess. I'm just I'm just waiting for the porn music to go on as this guy's handing him this stone. I got this stone for you. <laughs> The thickness of, of the sediment that can be accumulated in thirty or forty thousand years is the current rate the sediment is to be deposited. So it's just you know only a certain thickness. So if the Earth is millions of years old, why isn't the sediment thicker? Jesus. Well, I don't know. Could it be that there are fucking currents in the ocean? <laughs> <laughs> this is a question the evolutionists can't answer or avoid because they they only looking for evidences that would seem to indicate a great age. Yeah, right. because uh, you know in science. We like to ignore facts just so we can come to whatever hypothesis we want because nobody's going to pay attention to anything else that we say. Listen, right after a worldwide flood, quite a bit of sediment would accumulate just right there. (laughs) (laughs) Just right there. Does he give coordinates for just right there? Yeah, that is why if you get an age of 25 or 30,000 years at our current rate of deposition, it is possible that the first 70% was accumulated in a few years after the flood. See? Yeah. I, I love his accuracy uh, quite a bit, and just right there. Well, also. there's there's 70% in there, and that's pretty accurate. Oh, that is a number. For the... <laughs> <laughs> the now, where he got that number from just right there, I would be impressed to see. Well, look, um, if the evolutionist is going to say that we have 140 million years since the time of the dinosaurs, that is enough time for the Earth to erode away ten times. <laughs> <laughs> We're not getting new dust in, it's just fucking eroding away. Yeah, yeah, and this this once again is what he's getting from Henry M. Morris, that that retarded creationist who believes that if the earth was that old it would be perfectly flat because volcanoes, tectonic plate movement, pressure, none of that exists. The earth uh, should be flat because of erosion. Uh Leighton, according to Mr. Hovine, my friend, it's it's known as plate Tatonics. Yeah, plate, plate tatonics. Tatonics. I'm. S- they come up with a theory of continental lifting, plate tatonics, the subduction of the Earth, Mid-Atlantic Ridge. All of these may have some validity, but the rate of erosion proves that the Earth is not 140 million years old. That's My sure. explanation, doc, this is Dr. Hoven's explanation, yeah, would be that of- most of the erosion, the formation of the mountain ranges, and the Grand Canyon was formed after the flood as the water went down. Well, there, see, there you go. Yeah, it's not as if we've heard that dumbass proclamation from a creationist before. Well, that's just all the water rushing out to sea. Listen, some people say that the moon started out as part of the Pacific Ocean and was pulled out of that area. Uh, they try to use that to explain well, all the volcanoes. people say that? We should kill them. <laughs> oh, I love they the try... straw man. He pulls a straw man out. Euthanasia at this point is justifiable (laughs) if there are people that believe the moon was pulled away. They try to use that to explain all the volcanoes in Hawaii, saying that the crust is very thin because the moon was pulled out. (laughs) Who the fuck is pulling the moon out of Hawaii? That's what I want to know. Now, see, I've heard it said... Or there, are, there is a theory that there was a mighty meteor that rammed into the Earth and took off that chunk, which became the moon. But I have no. never heard no. about it pulling away from no. the fucking ocean. God reached down and pulled the fucking moon out of Hawaii. That's why there are volcanoes there. <laughs> God no, the, damn it. The current theory is 
that you had, the Earth was somewhat smaller than it was now, and you had another body, and they collided. And basically one became the moon, and the other became the Earth. Listen, and you the can't theory, explain. You can't on. explain the moon. You well, can't explain I'm that. I'm explaining it, damn it. <laughs> Hold out of the ocean. We won't listen to you, heretic. Yeah. Refuting my hovendology. <laughs> we did bring him on here for his expertise. All right, go ahead. All right, that's all I got. <laughs> so basically, the moon was pulled out just like a reluctant turd out of an old person's ass. Right. Yeah, yeah. Now, this is a, a, a very, very strong statement, which ties together everything Mr. Hovind is trying to do. And this comes from Thomas G. Barnes, a professor of physics at the University of Texas, El Paso. And he says, it takes but one proof for a young age for the moon or the earth to completely refute the doctrine of evolution. Well, why is it you fuckers keep bringing up evidences that have been refuted more than 30 or 40 years ago? <laughs> they don't care. They just throw about 18 things up, or in Henry Morris's case, 72, list of 72 things, and they just hope something sticks. Well, I'd, I'd like to know where his references are. Why, why aren't we seeing any references placed around any of his quotes? Or where's his reference page is what I'd like to know. Well, listen. Um, there is as yet no tentable alternative explanation that would yield an evolutionary age of 4 billion years of the moon. Tentable. What we need is a tentable explanation. A tentable. Uh, I could pitch a pretty good tent. I'm good at that. By this time, whoever's reading this is about ready to uh, electroshock therapy themselves. Well, if that wasn't bad, have you checked out his conclusion? I mean, uh, his entire conclusion is just a list of questions. If man has been here millions of years like evolutionists teach, where's the population? Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and it's just a list of questions. Why don't we have people writing about kings that lived 50,000 years ago? Why is it that all of recorded history happened in the last 4,000 years? <laughs> I thought you'd find that funny. Oh, God, Kent, do you know, uh, do you know what writing is? Now, you, can, you completely skipped the part where he had a stroke. Did you notice that? Ken... <laughs> Why well, skipped it? Because we're running out of time. But go ahead. I'm sorry, but just Ken Taylor's Living Bottle Bible. I don't the garbage heat period want to be too negative because there are <laughs> things about it. And Genesis has an attempt to pacify the evolutionists by trying to include billions of years into the Bible framework. He he got some blood flow in there at the end of the sentence, and he and he well, pulled it off. You remember that they charge you extra money if you take more time. So he's just trying to get this shit over 100 pages, and he finally finished it, 101 pages. But the yeah. double space and three-inch margins yes. weren't enough? Exactly. <laughs> Here, I, I believe we should end it with this sentence, which is the very last sentence in his dissertation. I believe Jesus was right. That solves it. Jesus was right. Well, that's really all he needed to say. That could have been his entire dissertation. Just repeat that in three-inch margins for <laughs> All right. Um, Matt, our professional hovenologist, do you have anything to say in conclusion? In conclusion, I think that uh, he brings up a lot of good points, which you have uh, failed to answer repeatedly throughout this entire podcast. Those questions are still out there, and I believe will one day prove the downfall of evolution. Yes, yes, because... Uh relying on outdated scientific hypotheses are the best way to proceed into the future. Exactly. Sounds good. Bye-bye, all. See ya!